This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi everybody, Russ and my Hammers 11. Hope you're all safe and well. If you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing, hitting the bell icon so you're made aware we have any time to put new content on. Obviously, we've got all the charity stuff coming up. Let's talk about charity, mate. Um, charity, that was like Harry Overfield. God, where that came from? God, dear. Um, we've got, obviously, the live event on Thursday um, with... Uh, Jim's already laughing. We've got the live event on We're Thursday. Seamless. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that's going to be good. Uh, we want to raise £10,000 at Ironsport Food Bank. Um, we've got, uh, obviously, uh, Isla Fights, um, the My Hammers 11 prints produced by Steve Kerger. 25% of them all then go to Isla as well. So that's all the charity stuff done. Looking forward to that. Um, loads of great guests. Loads are coming up in the next um, few weeks, uh, including today's guest, another one from the Stop Hammer Time uh, list of recommendations. So no pressure. <laughs> it's Jim Kearns. Hey, Dean, Jim, how's things with you, man? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, given the kind of long and illustrious uh, list of people who preceded me, I hope I can somewhat live up to the uh, the names that have gone before me. It's a pleasure. Well, I mean, you know, such great as Chesney Hawks. You yeah. Know? I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah. so, you know, Chesney Hawks and, you know, so obviously Phil and Jim, and we've had uh, but a few of the older the old originals we had obviously pete may pete ward um so yeah you're just in the the next of a of a long line but actually you're probably the youngest one of that bunch i think in terms of the ones that feel gay me yes quite quite right yes yeah i'm several decades younger than than all of them uh yeah that's 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 um that's a good point well made exactly <laughs> and one i will be making to film next time i see him <laughs> totally agree that totally agree that um how's things with you um jim at the moment in terms of you know obviously you know this, this new world new normal we live in at the moment 
Yeah, I mean, I I was saying to you before, I, I, I'm somewhat reluctant to to talk about how much I'm enjoying lockdown yeah. because, uh, you know, it's it isn't that way for everyone. And and actually, I mean, I you know did have the virus quite on in the in, you know, early, early on in lockdown. I spent three weeks in bed um as a result of the virus as opposed to just sort of you know taking to the bed yeah taking um, time yeah, off, yeah. which i've also been known to do um so but subsequent to then i'm very fortunate i can work from home i have you know an office at home that i'm able to um to kind of lock myself away and mm. um, during the day and work so i've been very fortunate and um whilst i kind of appreciate it, it hasn't been this way for everyone actually for me spending a bit more time at home and a bit less time on the central line has actually been yeah. Uh, quite, uh, quite a it's nice feeling so to be honest. Yeah. It's so true, and it's quite good in the old wallet as well, isn't it? To be honest, something been funny. It's like, uh, it, it, it is, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we to do our company, we always take a sort of deferral to make sure everyone, you know, enough money in the kitty and stuff. And, um, I was probably spending that on the train, really. Right, yeah. And so, you know, it's like, well, it's, I didn't really see much difference. Um, and also, you don't have to spend, you know, your you know, three pounds meal deal at Sainsbury's. Oh, I'm so you know how the mighty live, um, but uh, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. So it's it makes a big difference. It really does. Well, I it think really it's, it's between that and then you know in the first period of lockdown, obviously there was no football, so there was none of the additional stress or agony of yeah. watching us uh, play, which also meant that the first few weeks um, was like a summer holiday. You know, there was you know the weekends would come. You wouldn't have to worry about no. uh, skip, skipping match of the day um, or finding an excuse not to watch it. Um, so it's quite pleasurable. And actually, I think you know the the reason that this show is so interesting and um, has been so successful is that I think looking back is always uh, you know in recent times has been a lot more fun than than what we're actually yeah. experiencing. So I think that kind of nostalgic element um, is actually quite enjoyable. Exactly, I totally agree. And, and I mean that's why we started the channel because I was the same as you. A little bit bored i was sort of a little bit twiddling my thumbs a bit and um yeah you had the first sort of few weeks of lockdown and ah you sort of get through your netflix box sets and things like that and but then you know they just started to get more and more romantic comedy -y. do you know what i mean the <laughs> selections the wife were like more reality tv a lot of australian ones you know they're watching one now australia's married at first sight it's like I don't know. Um, so yeah, it just means that at least I'm for an hour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, whatever, Jimmy. On some series. I know it's on series link. Um, but but it just gives me an hour away. It gives me an hour away where they can watch their crap and I come back and I'm trying to educate them. Trying, you know, I got them into Homeland um the other week, which I you know, because you know, they watch which is what did she watch the other day? Designated Survivor. Have you seen that one on Netflix? Oh, I've seen it pop up on the for Sutherland. It, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I didn't think. Yeah, but she smashed that in three days, and um, and then uh, and I said, well, do do Homeland because it's like seven series or eight series, and you can last at least a week. But um, yeah, we'll see what happens with that one. But you're right, not having the stress of West Ham for a hundred days, not having to look at a, a, a league table or read a transfer rumor. It was nice. It was nice. You know, you could just watch all the footballers. On Instagram, kicking a football outside their apartment, you know, in, in Canary Wharf, and it was lovely. And then they came back, and it was business as usual. You know, like you know, wolves came in, and it's like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, I think there, there was definitely a period of, of being like Schrodinger's football fan, where they couldn't be bad and they couldn't be good, and they yeah. were both relegated and staying up at the same time. And mm. so that was all. You know, there was there was something to be said for um, the kind of in perpetuity. Um, of every single week 
just remaining constantly where we were in the table yeah. uh, with nothing else happening. I mean, there was there was a kind of an element of escapism of well, well, eventually, you know, it might come back, but we can probably just pretend that it's never going to happen, and West Ham yeah, exactly. will remain where they are. Um, but you know, to be fair, actually, I, I, I agree with you on the Wolves game. That was um, fairly disappointing, and the Spurs yeah. game that followed it was. It was possibly more disappointing um but actually all, all things considered i thought that you know Moyes did a pretty good job yeah um, he's done it down. twice you know yeah, he's, yeah, he's, yeah. he's been been picked up twice to do the same job and he's done it so yeah and i've still got a, i don't know why i mean i always have blind optimism every every off season um and i, I lost it a little bit about one minute past nine on thursday last week whenever it was when the fixtures this came up but now yeah. i'm back on it again because i was talking to someone about the slavin village season where we started with you know arsenal liverpool man city all in the first few games and we did all right and i'm confident i'm there, i think there. i'm there i'm there at least until about half time at the newcastle game <laughs> and then i'll be like oh fuck you know well uh, i can tell you now that no west ham fan has ever turned to me for optimism uh so i'm, <laughs> I'm not i'm afraid gonna be able to you know to pump more air into too much but yes go- God bless you for your optimism, because if it wasn't people like you, it would be full of people like me and we'd all be we with have to. It's just yin and yang. It's yin and yang, isn't it, Jim? It's like, you know, you have one hand giveth, the other taketh away. But um, yeah, I mean, if, if it wasn't, you know, if you didn't have people half glass full, then the half, you know, then there would be no um, full glass at all, you know. So, but I know what you mean. It's, um, yeah, we've, I mean, we, we've, we've been a bit hardened and a lot of people are just, you know, another season, but I wouldn't mind a boring season this year. Do you know what I mean? Like a Kerbishly season or something like that. Just get 11th or 12th and be safe by about January, February time. I'll be all right. I'll be all right, they, I think, this year. They seem like halcyon days to me um, <laughs> now. Uh, they seem like relatively glorious periods. Yeah. In our, We'd in have DVDs from really, based on our <laughs> yes. success since we've been playing. Yeah. You know. three, three successive draws releasing a DVD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I 100% would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think the fixtures are difficult, um, but I, I, I have faith in Moyes, and I, and I, I think I I'm you, in, yeah, in the minority in that sense, but um you know i think him having a pre-season albeit one that's a bit curtailed and we mm. appear not to have any money at all so you know he might have to kind of do more with what he has um but i don't know i i, I think he's experienced and I, and I i just feel like what the club actually needs is a bit of boring stability which i think is what you're yeah. what you're talking about and you know a three or four year period of um not being in a relegation battle would actually be um sensational <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm with you. 12th would be, I would be delighted. Delight. Yeah. Well, especially because, you know, I mean, we've got the pre-seasons, I think they kick off tomorrow. We've got, you know, by the time this comes out, the first two games would have happened because they're both at the same time, aren't they? That's right. So yeah. they're splitting the team, you know, there's social distancing and all that, but it's like, you know, <laughs> having, having two teams in different counties, um, is quite impressive, but, uh, yeah. And, and then they come up quite, you know, quite fast. And obviously we've got, um, then we've got Brentford, haven't we, at home? Uh, then we've got obviously Betway. We've got to the final of the Betway Cup again. Again, um, got, yeah. No, no one picks up on that. No one picks up no. on that. You know, every year we don't always win. Obviously, we've got Bournemouth, so probably oh, lose yes. that one. Um, and then you got yeah. So it's like it's going to come really, really quickly. You know, it hasn't seemed sort of four or five weeks. Um, and and yeah, I've, I'm the same as you. I've, I think Moyes 
in our situation, I think he's actually probably the best manager for the job because, you know, he didn't spend a lot of money at Everton and everyone always mentions that as like his CV, you know, he's, he's sort of, you know, when you're writing your CV, your first three lines at the top, but, you know, about what you're really good at. It was always about Everton. So, um, and I think, you know, bringing Stuart Pearson and, and Kevin Nolan, you know, in, in the sky, <laughs> I would not want to be a fancy Dan um, coming off half time, not performing. No, no. I mean, I, I, I think as well, you have to consider who would realistically come, you know, and I think, yeah. it's, you know, we, we all might say, well, we'd love Julian Nagelsmann or whatever, but, you, you know, that's not realistic. And, mm. um, you know, even people like Eddie Howe, um, who might, you know, or people of his ilk, are they really kind of going to deliver anything more mm. or, or different than what Moyes is? You know, so. maybe, Maybe there is a natural cap actually on what a team like us can realistically achieve without a kind of a massive restructuring of an awful lot of mm. things about the club and probably a massive restructuring of Premier League football, which redistributes the money more evenly around yeah. the league. You know, I mean, without that, actually, yeah. it seems like us are forever going to be in, in a certain sort of bit of the league. Yeah, we're in a, a certain, yeah, certain level, aren't we? And I, and I think the trouble was, I think, you know, and, and it's retrospectively looking at things, hindsight's brilliant, but, um, the whole thing around, you know, I think Pellegrini, it was almost like, you know, when you, you know, people, it's almost like he built this really nice apartment, but it was on really, really crap foundations. And so it just crumbled. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now it seems that Moise is the type of like labourer who's going to put these foundations in, um, which seems like in terms of coaching and the coaching staff and the scouting network and all these stuff which Pellegrini just had on bits of post-it notes, apparently, you know, all over the place. Um, I just think he's it, he's he's more he just I think he's just more workmanlike. He's got this sort of you know sort of hardened my budge be you know. but also I like people who you know what I like about Moisey is you know he's not afraid to wear a tracksuit. You know what I mean? It's like you know I, I don't like managers who are prim and proper all the time. I like ones who could slum it and wear a tracksuit if they're playing Bournemouth or something like that. You know what I mean? Well I mean I think the analogy is probably quite a good one actually. I mean that uh, I often think that quite a lot of the um, the successes of the village that first season mm. were actually built on foundations laid by Allardyce, who totally. I was not a fan of at all, and it wasn't, mm. a, um, you know, wasn't particularly um, enamoured of the way that he played football. But mm. Allardyce went and left a fully functioning back four, and then village mm. had some better Good players, and, and and they they put them on top of it, you know. Similarly, we're working in reverse now, which is that Pellegrini's left quite a lot of good attacking players, but almost zero defensive base, as far as I can yeah. see. So I think Moyes is trying to lay some foundations. And frankly, it's not glamorous and it isn't sexy. And fans don't pay their season tickets to... Um, uh, they don't pay their money for season tickets in response to the notion that the fullbacks might position themselves a bit better going forward. But unfortunately, <laughs> you know, if you want to finish 12th in the Premier League, your fullbacks do probably need to know it's where so to go, true. you know, occasionally. So, I, yeah, I'm, I'm all for a bit of unsexy um, scrapping. For, yeah, <laughs> for a, for I just think we should be a bit nastier. Do you know what I mean? We've always been a bit of a, particularly Pellegrini, was a bit of a soft touch, I thought. You know, and it seems like particularly, with, I mean, even like, you know, classic is, is the corners. You know, now we're nasty in corners. You know, Antonio, and, and I was I was talking to someone else the other day about it, about the effects of Kevin Nolan. Because Kevin Nolan basically was that man in front of the goalkeeper, wasn't he? Yeah, And he just stood right. there with his elbow and he, oh, I didn't, oh, oh, sorry. You know, Antonio's, he's given that role to Antonio because he's like stocky. It's really hard for the goalkeeper to get, you know, to get past him. And um, we just seem to be a bit more 
bit more nasty you know we fit and then like corners itself you know we never really scored a lot of in particular the modern era from goals and corners and you know with sue check and stuff it just seemed to be a bit more direct doing long throw-ons and stuff like that and i don't mind well, that to be honest i think being a bit more functional and um kind of utilizing the tools that you have at your disposal totally. like sue check seems to be um yeah i mean like that chelsea game I mean, Chelsea are a funny team. I mean, you know, fantastic going forward, but like it's like Lampard just doesn't fancy doing any defensive work yeah. at all. Uh, and they've also got that terrible goalkeeper where they would be better off just sticking like a balloon animal in goal rather than Kepler. Mm -hmm. is absolutely abysmal. But then you kind of you watch that game and you're thinking, well, now we finally have a kind of a structure to our play that can take advantage of a team yeah. who are um, not not kind of able to cope with that. And Suchet obviously scored one goal, had another one ludicrously ruled out because someone yeah. was laying on the floor you know all that kind of stuff so yeah look, I, no, I agree with you i think a bit, a bit of um uh yeah kind of as i said unsexy scrapping is not yeah uh, it's not a bad thing totally just to mix it up funny i mean that was that was funny that chelsea game because you know part of the, the premier league directive is i have to play goal music and so you know i had it all oh, lined up you're to blame for this yeah, well, I, yeah, yeah, yeah it's not me but it's not literally i've been about well this is my 19th season doing it something like that and i've never played gold music in 19 years doing it but it was a directive from the premier league they, they also wanted originally um music for var decisions and i was like <laughs> and i and i originally pitched the countdown theme tune but um but they didn't like that so we didn't do it um but yeah, yeah. so this gold music so we had it all lined up and obviously the first time was 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 the disallowed goal I was like, well, that's it. I told you. I told you. That's why we didn't have it. Because then I'm like, a fucking idiot. And uh, luckily, you made up for it later on. But yeah, no, it's 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 weird. Yeah, we can't. Um, yeah, they always want gold beat us. And hopefully, we don't do it once everyone gets back into the ground. But uh, yeah, because I'm very much against it. It's very Americanized. I don't like it. Agree with you. Like it but I quite like the. Um, I was watching the 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 NBA the other day, and they they've got some cool stuff with all the like the Zoom like wall of like fans like proper i know we i know we pissed about about it when people were when it was alleged you know when nigel khan said we we're gonna do it as a joke and everyone it got on the telly like in the newspapers but it works really well and i was watching was i was watching some wrestling the other day and they've done it as well and it looks really good it was quite nice but uh yeah because yet you had their and league of their own had it as well they had it on the telly they had right, like, okay. people watching that the audience and um at least you had a bit of atmosphere like direct atmosphere not like you know someone playing fifa um <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i mean it's, it's kind of been interesting i i've in, i've watched the games without the crowd yes yeah. on um because i actually think it's quite interesting to hear the players yelling it's to basically yeah. to hear Moyes spend 90 minutes yelling Felipe <laughs> in, in the game against Wolves was um you know the only thing that was distracting me from how bad um how badly we were playing um but you know I think it, to me it's quite interesting to hear you know how, how much professional footballers talk to each other and I think it's also quite interesting to watch games played um I think without so much emotion actually I think footballers are playing yes, in a more um sort of I don't know, calculated is, is quite the right word, but they're, they're playing in a different way right. than they would do. And it, and it's just interesting when you watch, because you, you watch a game sometimes and you think, God, oh, that foul there, if that was 60,000 in the stadium or however many in the stadium and it was in a way player making that, 100% they're getting a yellow card for that. Yeah. And that, that didn't happen. And so you saw, I think, actually referees letting the game flow more. Mm. Um, I know VAR is... Um, <laughs> 
in a, in, a, in a difficult period of its existence, shall yes. we say. Um, yes. But I felt like actually sort of generally officiating absent VAR was quite good. Yeah, and actually, yeah. I quite enjoyed watching players play without the pressure of fans demanding that they make pointless 20-yard runs to close down players who don't need closing down or what yeah. you know whatever it might be. And it, to me, yeah. it was just interesting to watch a different type of football. Mm. Um, and again, you know, we don't know when fans are going to be back in um, in the stadium, so it'll be again just kind of fascinating to see that as it um, as it kind of unravels over the upcoming yeah, season. Yeah, and, and the other thing I'm worried about because actually we quite playing quite well when there's no there's no fans. The adverse effect is we'll play really really well, and then the fans will come in and they'll just go and they'll freeze and they'll be crap for the rest of the season because you know and that's the trouble. That's that's the West Ham way, isn't it, Jim? You know, you just you just can't West Ham never never work with the hand they're dealt with. <laughs> well, I mean, I. I I definitely think there's something to be said for, um, I imagine if you're a West Ham player, not being, not having that sense of um, negativity that can roll around our stadium from time to time. And I, you know, sometimes it manifests itself in booing, but it's even just sometimes that, you know, a misplaced pass here or a, a, you know, a fluff shot or a substitution comes on that the fans don't agree with. And all of a sudden, it's just like, a little kind of wave that goes all the way around the stadium and then everyone knows that the fans don't want that guy to be taken <laughs> off and that guy to be brought on so all of that was kind of absent in in that yeah. end, end of season and actually i thought i just thought it was interesting to i don't I, I couldn't say whether it made us play better or worse and frankly i think that's probably more down to just what Moyes was doing in terms of how he structured them but yeah. um just interesting to see how it was different yeah no i know exactly how you feel and exactly yeah it was interesting i just think um yeah I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, you never know until the hands you get dealt with. So, you know, we may, maybe, you know, we play at a certain, we're playing well and the fans will give us that extra, give them that extra 10%. So they do run that extra five yards and, and, and put it in a yeah. bit. I mean, it's, I mean, the fact is everyone can see the game a lot better than they did at the stadium. You know, it's on telly all the time. So they get all the camera angles and they get the replays and they don't have to queue up for a, you know, we at half time, and so I know it's it's yeah. there is something to be said about, and, and I love it because I, I mean, I got car park space at the stadium. Well, yeah, I've never done that. <laughs> I'm, I'm home in twenty minutes, so it's great for me. Um, but uh, we'll see what happens. Now, the the question I always ask everyone, um, Jimmy says uh, twenty twenty minutes into the the video, the first question is is why is West Ham your club? Um, and I think my answer probably would be similar to lots of other people, which is sure. just I'm I'm local. I was born. Yep to a West Ham family. It, it's a little bit odd, actually, because my family, um, probably like a lot of others, were, were sort of an immigrant family. So that's an Irish immigrant family yeah. who um, came to, uh, you know, the East End. And, you know, my grandfather worked at Ford's. My uncles and various other family members were there. Um, but interestingly, then, some of the family went back to Ireland. And it was, it, funny enough, I think the drive to be a West Ham family actually came more from the Irish Really? guys so they kind of went back to dublin i presume everyone in the 70s and 80s were supporting liverpool and and mm. leeds and man united and, and so on and i think they were there was something so sort of special about being a west ham fan and so you know when i was born um you know into the family it, it was a it was we were a west ham family but it was a it was an irish thing that was driven by the irish element of the family and then um you know i think my dad was my dad was a, a football fan but it, it, it wasn't something his dad had taken him to. Yeah, yeah. But he, you know, I liked playing football. I got into playing football as a kid. And then, um, you know, he, he took me to uh, my first ever game. West Ham lost 4-0 at Leicester. 
Um, <laughs> they had Smith and Lindor up front, to be fair. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I felt like he was, um, it was a reasonable first game to take me to in the sense that they set me up for quite, you know, I, I knew what was coming. Um, and then really the first ever game, my home game, first ever home game was the Ipswich game in 1985-86 when um, we, Ray Stewart scored a very late penalty and we went second in the table. We, we, it was during that massive backlog of fixtures at the mm. end of the season. And, mm. and, you know, so I suppose at that point as a sort of six or seven year old, I thought, Wow, you know, not only are they my team, but they're brilliant. You know, this is great. I'm setting this myself up for a life yeah. of um, <laughs> uh, a life of fun. And then, um, you know, they, they, well, you know the story. We we aren't brilliant. Um, but <laughs> I think once you're hooked, you know, once you go, and you know, my myself and my cousin, we still go together. We have our season yeah. tickets together. Um, you know, and and I think it is a family thing. You know, I take my daughters. He takes his sons. You know, our dads took us. And, and hopefully it will pass on down through the generations. And it's not, you know, you're, you're not a West Ham fan for the success. No. Um, you're a West Ham <laughs> fan for, for something else. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it just always, it just felt like the right club, you know, and, mm. and they it played team, whether they did or not, were always renowned for playing good football. <laughs> um, you know, they, they produced good young players. Yeah. They were, and it was kind of electric, you know, going to Upton Park, mm. particularly in midweek, uh, for midweek games I started going yeah. in the early 90s and I think that experience that football going experience was unparalleled really and um, for, for a young kid it, just, it was just amazing and that was just to watch us play you know Bournemouth at home on a Wednesday night <laughs> you know it wasn't, exactly yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, it wasn't particularly glamorous football so yeah I guess sort of family is, is the real answer yeah but, it's, yeah, but it's interesting. I mean, everyone has that. Yeah, everyone has a sort of a, yeah. The, the the genre of origin stories can be like three or four different. But it, it's the it's the it's the subplots, as you said. Yeah, it was a family, but then the whole Irish connection, and they sort of embellish like put the layer on top in terms of how you were sort of you're going to be a West Ham fan. And obviously, once you're in, you said you're in, and then it's too late for any any yes, any yes, daughters yeah. or sons. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> so slow, but yeah. That is that that is right. I mean, my my I remember my sister very briefly experimented with being a Spurs fan, uh, primarily to wind me up. Um, <laughs> but you know, she's uh, she's a huge West Ham fan as well. And and yeah, I mean, it, it is. Yeah, you know, I mean, even now, my kids are like, why do we have to be West Ham fans? It's like, yeah, you know, I'm afraid you are. There's no. It's just you just are. Just <laughs> um, are. I mean, yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, I got the same as my. Although I did go to yeah, like. We always go. It's funny every time we we're in Lakeside or whatever. My daughter's like, because she knows it will make me happy. She always she goes to the West Ham shop, Daddy. I was like, yes, go and have a look at the West Ham shop. And you know, and then obviously it was twenty percent off the weekend, so she got she was like, oh, there's a new kit. I love that. Yep, twenty percent off. Yep, good girl. Nice, good girl. She knows it makes me happy. But now and she's. I mean, we live in Hornchurch, so. We're relatively close. We were close, obviously. No, no they moved to Dagenham and Redbridge now. They? The women's game. So she's she used, we used to go rush green quite a lot, and she yep. uh, she really enjoyed it. She really didn't really give a shit about West Ham about football. And then I don't know whether it's people at school and kids. Oh, my daddy works at West Ham. Well, you know, and then and then she started getting into it a little bit more. So maybe maybe this season I might take her to a, well, get my wife to take it. But yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I'm a season ticket holder for the women's team. I, I live in Hornchurch too, actually, so I'm not very oh. far away from the ground. And um, my daughters are much more willing to come to watch the women's yeah. team than they are watch the men's team. And I think there's something in that just generally about the ease of driving five minutes up the road. Um, but and I, you I get think car park space. You get, get car park space, that is very true. Um, but I think, you know, to be fair, not to downplay it, I think it is also very important for, for young girls to see 
oh, people definitely. like them playing football. And I, you know, I mean, I, I remember my, my oldest, uh, uh, my middle, I've got three daughters, my middle daughter um, is it for plays football. Um, and, you know, I remember watching the, the very first West Ham game I took her to, Rosie Kamita was playing. Um, and she was just yeah. like, I've never seen anyone play football who has hair like me. And of course, <laughs> as a bloke, you know, this is not something that ever crosses your mind, but actually yeah. it's really, really important for young girls. And then with them getting to the FA Cup final, you know, hopefully, I mean, there's, I, yeah, I coach my daughter's team, so I'm a little bit familiar with the girls game in Essex. There are hundreds of really talented girls yeah. out there, um, you know, fantastic players and hopefully... Um, in a few years' time, West Ham should be a really, really strong women's team as well. Yeah, no, it's it's great. I mean, yeah, it's like she I and mean, my daughter kept. We took her a, a friends. She's got twins friends, and yeah, it was like, and also it cost me like six quid for us to get in. I think that because it was like a family ticket. It was like you know I could have got in myself. And it was a tenner or something like that. Or as a family, it cost us a fiver. And then we had to buy another kid for a pound. But it was brilliant, great fun. I loved it because I never get a chance to watch football like properly. You know, I'm stuck in that box, and I've been for so many years that I just sort of not. It's really weird. I, you know, I don't shout at the referees because I'm not in the. You know, I'm in a little <laughs> box on my own. Really, who who's going to listen to me? So I was proper on. You know, shouting at the referee that my wife's like, Russ, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know. I don't know. It's just like this whole sort of sort of hooligan thug came over yeah. me <laughs> so, so embarrassed but yeah um no it's it's, it's all good stuff um and, and as you said yeah it's one of those things once you're in you're in aren't they you're never going to get out and um and you said it's not about it's not about the football it's about you know the fact is as you said you go with your family your cousin and their kids and that's what it's all about i think that that really as it you know this sort of whole no you know behind closed doors football has really exemplified the fact that it's the fans that make football it just do yeah. it just it just it just do and it, and it's yeah you could have it you know when i go and watch you know obviously one of the 300 there it's weird and but you just don't get just no connection just don't get you no know, connection with it because you don't hear the fans you know you don't hear i i have to literally put the crowd noise on the telly through <laughs> my ipad just because otherwise it's just death these all i can hear is you know the tapping of like journalists computers yeah 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 it's like, like a reserve game yeah yeah, yeah. Well, like the, yeah the under 23s god yeah. yeah but even that was like 200 and they were all like their friends and family so it's a little bit more you know a bit of a reaction bless them yeah. um and we still do all the video i don't know why we still do all the videos and uh, <laughs> like, who for who for there's no yeah. one here literally for my own benefit i'm watching it anyway anyway <laughs> moving on so let, let's go on to the 11 let's go into the hammers 11 now Obviously, um, everyone that comes on, we, we ask them to pick their 11. So it's their 11. They can do whatever they want with it. The only rule is they have to be alive to a scene and play. Now, I believe you're mentioning you may have in, you may have put some self-imposed rules on, on who you pick in your 11. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I did. So I decided um, to also implement a rule that, uh, so there's a, I guess there's a couple of rules, but they're sort of similar. But But, but essentially what I'm saying is, um to myself when you think of this player you need to think of them as a west ham player so as an example i think if you were going to pick any west ham 11 of the greatest players ever you probably should have someone like liam brady or paolo futre or even teddy sheringham would be yeah. fantastic I world class yeah, players. Yeah, yeah. but i guess my point is we got, we got them all of them at the end of their career yes. when you know still fantastic players but you know in particular like Paolo Futre you, you couldn't have him in there so I, I guess I've, I've sort of said if you don't think of them as a West Ham player then you you can't have them and similarly um if I saw them but they weren't in their prime 
then I've not chosen them either. So oh, as an example, I think I said to you, I started watching mid eighties, but I really started yeah. going properly home and away in like 1991. Um, so I would have seen players like Phil Parks or Adam Devonshire or Alvin Martin, who would have definitely been in this team, but I'm kind of saying the version of those players that I saw, I'm not picking. Yeah. The unfortunate problem with that is that it also ruled out all of our... <laughs> so, I mean, we've, we've had fuck all. We've yeah. had fuck all people so, so, Yeah. So, so my greatest team is getting relegated. <laughs> but, but, you know, them's the... I mean, in the them's end... The rules. But yeah, the rules. In the end, quite a lot of good attacking players, no defenders. That feels to me like quite a good microcosm of, of supporting West Ham. So I feel like yes. actually a lot of fans will empathise with this team, even though they would never have picked it. So You're anyway. right, because we literally always, bar probably hopefully 11 at least, um, we we always uh, bookends, we get people at the bookends of their career. Some people... Either side, you know, Joe Cole was, was either side of the bookend before he wins. Yeah, but but still, it's like we never really yeah. have. There's as probably only a handful, maybe eleven occasions where we've had someone who have actually been in their prime. So I'm looking forward to this. All yeah. right, we'll start off in goal. Okay, so in goal, I've chosen Ludic McCloskey. Yes. Um, first goalkeeper I ever saw, um, you know, play for West Ham really, really consistency and actually. Yeah. And a lot of fans, I think he's one of those players who I think if you remember him at the end of his career, when he was a bit <laughs> error prone, there's yeah. probably like a whole load of fans who might be watching this game. Is he talking about the same bloke as I remember watching? But yeah. but McCloskey in his prime was a, was really, you know, a fantastic goalkeeper. And he um, that season that I kind of mentioned a few times now, that 1990 season when we got promoted, mm-hmm. we, we I think went unbeaten 20 games or something to start wow. the season. And, and McCloskey kept like 12 clean sheets or something, mm-hmm. you know, and and what he, I think more than any other goalkeeper of the era that I've watched West Ham, he was capable of producing these sort of one-off performances. And the very famous one, obviously, is the Man United one to yeah. deny them the league. Um, but he did that quite a lot of times where he just was absolutely incredible. And it was just sort of, you know, you shall not pass. And, you know, he would keep the score down to 3-1 or something, you know. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, 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 was, he was a fantastic keeper in his prime. And I mean, I do think Fabianski is is a tremendous goalkeeper, and I did give him some thought. But McCloskey to me was a sort of defining goalkeeper of my time watching West Ham. Yeah, no, I agree there. And and you're right, but Fabianski's that 35, 36 now, isn't he? So, and I wouldn't say he's in prime. His prime was was probably that first couple of seasons at Swansea. It was he was definitely his prime. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, you're right. Actually, I mean, does he does he even fit my criteria? Possibly <laughs> not. But um, uh, but yeah, my, as you said, there may only be eleven people who fit my criteria. So <laughs> we shall see. But Ludo and goal. Ludo and goal. You you go through the team because I know you've got it all written down, Jim. So you go I through do, it as do. you want to. Well, this is to say the coach in me has also tried to sort of actually figure out a way to get this thing to plan. <laughs> we shall see. So anyway, right back would be Lucas Neal. Yeah. Who. Um, I mean, it's funny when I when I thought back over the period that I've watched West Ham. Um, you know, Tim Breaker played for a long time as a mm. West Ham player. I mean, again, there is an argument that you wouldn't think of Lucas Neal as a West Ham player, but I kind of think he was pretty significant for us when he played. Yes. So I'm 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 going to take liberties with my own rules, two players in, and say that I'm having him. Um, and I, it's funny, I, I I saw you did one of these with Geo from Hammers Chat, and I think mm. you know, I, I feel we have quite a similar team actually. But um, he mentioned that Neil, the impact that Neil had on and off yeah. the pitch seemed to me very significant. And I, I don't really put any stock particularly in the notion that a captain is particularly important to, to football teams. But Neil, mm. to me, actually was. I, I felt yeah. like he he sort of changed 
a bit of the mindset coming out of that Pardew era and there was the you know as you say Kirbishly came in and I, I just felt um it was actually quite an underrated player for us he was, was a really totally. good player totally we had um we had uh we had anton on the channel a few weeks ago and yeah i mean he was like waxing lyrically about the impacts of lucas neil on his football career and his life in general really and i was, yeah, and I was like really and then he spoke about it and he spoke about you know that they they had a, like a a team meeting um where lucas neil basically said they were like training one day at the ground and he goes right come on over upstairs we have a team meeting upstairs and all the players went up and then curbs and murphy and day turn up and he shut the door in their face with no no and he basically said in his, his gravelly australian accent you know if you don't want to fucking play here tell me now and i'll get the boss to get rid of you you know we're in this together and we've got to sort ourselves out and um and basically anton went it scared me shitless and i wanted to play and <laughs> just it's like you know and yeah. then he also apparently and you talk about the, the effect on a, on a club he apparently was one of the first captains that anton can remember who insisted that um he'd actually go around collecting um a percentage of all the players win bonuses to give to the ground staff and the tea lady and the kit right. man and just to say you know thank you you know if they were doing that and they weren't getting paid could you imagine if they were getting paid a bit extra they might yeah. you know press your socks a bit better you know <laughs> stuff like that but um yeah, yeah no i and i was totally you know stuff like that really didn't think about lucas new in that in that light but it really sort of my eyes to him yeah and i think sure. he, he, rem he reminds me a little bit what you're talking about there reminds me a bit of kevin nolan as well that mm, kind of yeah pro like a, a, i know it sounds ridiculous but like an actual professional yeah. who's come in and, and he's going to you know do things properly and i think part you know part of the problem with sam actually and i and i suspect you'll find this a lot as you do these teams and obviously you've done a large number of them we've got tons of these sort of players who arrive at west ham and they're there because there's sort of something wrong with them and they're absolutely yeah. brilliant players but they wouldn't if they were if there wasn't something wrong with their mentality, they would have been at much, you know, bigger clubs. And all of our sort of icons of the modern era are like that. Yeah. And we love those players. I mean, I, I, I've got a friend of mine who just says, like, you know, I'm out of it. Just, he's, just, he's an absolute West Ham player. He's like mad. So he's a bit brilliant. He should, of course, be a West Ham player. And yeah. I think there's something about that, which means that we romanticise those sorts of players and Definitely. don't properly value people like Lucas Neal and Kevin Nolan and other just totally. sort of genuine pros. Totally, and what's really interesting, and I just don't even think I don't even think it's just also in terms of captain position, position, and 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 the way people play, is you've got people who haven't appeared in any fans' eleven, but they appear in almost every player's eleven of that era. Yeah. You know, sort of the not the unsung heroes, but basically pretty much the people who played like defensive midfielder. You know, so it was always so. Like, I think it was in Martin Allen's, in um, a few others, always Pete Butler was in all of them right, and, right, right um in the sort of mid 2000s always hayden mullins was in everyone's 11 right yeah you know and it's like i think luke i think when i interviewed luke chadwick he put him right back just to get him in the team you know it's like really, yeah, really? and it's yeah. like then you go actually i can see why because they were proper professionals and people respected them for what they did as a it within the team in terms of the, the best you know, they weren't the flat the fancy dans they weren't the guys you know scoring 20 20 goals or as if 20 goals a season but 10 goals a season would be nice um yeah but they would be doing the hard graft and stuff and um particularly pete, pete butler i mean he was he was the first player i ever met 
Um, yeah. And um, yeah, no, I have a soft spot for Pete Butler because he's also Liberia national manager. <laughs> and, is, you're right, yeah. <laughs> and when I interviewed him, he was like dialing in from the compound, um, <laughs> George Weir's compound. It was absolutely mental. So weird, but I love him. He was such a nice bloke. And he texts me all the time now. It's like, it's so, he's so sweet. I love it. Right. Okay. Lucas Neil. Lucas Neil's in. Who's yeah. next, man? So left back is, I think, unsurprising if any fan of my era is probably going to pick Julian Dix. And yeah. he is, I think, the, the best left back that we've had. I mean, I, I don't think I can probably say very much about him that others haven't said. But, you know, he was, to me as a kid growing up, he was my hero, you know, one of my heroes at West Ham. Um, I think what I would say about him, I think a lot of fans, again, kind of idolise the sort of, you know, the passion thing and all that, which is fine. But... I, I actually think he was just a very skillful player, and I, and I don't I agree. think there were there were very many it, it, there were, there aren't very many fullbacks who I've watched can sort of control a game from their position. And Leighton Baines was one I, I kind of remember watching him mm. a few years ago play for Everton and thinking, wow, like you know, this guy, like the best yeah. player on the pitch, and he's, he's playing at left back. Um, and I feel like there were times when Dix did that for us, and you know, just that ability to distribute the ball, to defend. He could obviously take free kicks and penalties. He could win headers from corners. You know. I just think he was an outstanding player and um you know i think with him and neil i think we'd be quite solid down the yeah. so that's why and you're, you're totally thinking. right i mean you're totally right about julian you know it's like it's not the most glamorous position um left back uh but he and and it was a bit of skill or maybe one of his tackles he would galvanize a, a crowd in upton park from left back and and dictate the game as well from left back as well and um i mean what i like i mean yeah but he was an incredibly skillful player you know i remember someone picked it up mentioned it and i actually went back and looked at youtube but at the time where he's he always used to do it where the ball was going over his head he'd always dink it back over the the, the winger when they came he did it once yeah. in Cantona um again in that man united game and he did it and Cantona just nodded like yeah. and that's it you, you get a nod from Eric Cantona, you are a good player. You know, there's nothing, no two ways about it. But um, I remember um, he played once. We, we played away at Sunderland on Sky Super Sunday, as it was incorrectly known, because it finished nil-nil this game. It was absolutely abysmal. Yeah. And um, I remember reading a story afterwards where Dick's one player of the, the... This was in the day when people could ring in and vote for the, for yeah. the player of the match. And um, he won the, the he won it and got put the bottle of champagne. And um, apparently off camera, he said to the guy, like the Jeff Shreves equivalent, uh, I can't believe anyone voted in. And apparently the folks said to him, well, uh, only six people rang in. And what made me laugh was I'd rung in twice <laughs> to vote for this. So I never really knew if that was apocryphal or not. But, I, you know, it was it was um, just a, a genuinely skillful player. And even, like, you know, that was a particularly awful game and he stood out just because he, he had that bit of class, really. And um, I think that gets a bit, a bit forgotten in the sort of the red card and the blood and, blood and thunder tackles. Totally. Very, very good player. A funny, funny story about man of the matches. Um, I remember when Ian Wright was West was playing for West Ham, he'd win man of the match every week, even like he'd be on for 10 minutes because obviously the people that voted for man of the match then met the man of the match. Yes. And yeah. so it was like Ian Wright, he, he had barely kicked the ball, but he was man of the match. But uh yeah, no, I totally agree. And obviously he's he's, he's a dad again, isn't he, Julian? He had a, he had a kid uh, the other day. So uh, that, yeah. that's exactly yeah. what you need when you're uh putting together a battle plan to stay up in the Premier League. He's another kid. Yeah, he's a better man than me. Take it exactly. but, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 50, 53 as well now so it's like same days yeah. same birthday as phil parks um there we go uh julian's in who's next then jim 
so centre back, I've gone. My first centre back is Steve Potts. So I just, to be honest, so when I played football, certainly when I was a kid, I was a a kind of small centre back, sort of a sweeper type player. So Potts was an obvious sort of player to try and emulate. Um, Really quick, read the game really well. And he also played in an era, actually, where there were a lot of sort of little and large striking partnerships. So there was lots of sort of hit the big man and then you got the small guy in, alongside him. And so, you know, he would often be paired up with Bilic or Reaper or whoever and, and mm. be the small guy marking the very quick, you know, or marking Peter Beardsley or whoever it would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, again, I, I probably underrated, I think, by... Certainly by fans outside of West Ham, actually. I think if Agreed. you said Steve Potts, I think they're just blunt too. Um, but, you know, 600 performances or 600 appearances, sorry, for a, you know, for a team that's in the top two divisions of the country, um, yeah. uh, you know, shows that you're a pretty good player. And he's still at the club, I think, in the academy. Under, so. 20, under 23s, yeah, under 23s yeah. coach. And uh, I suppose, you know, when you look at the people in their prime, if they play their whole career at West Ham, uh, they would have fit their prime sometimes. So uh, yes, quite. There yeah. you go. And, Good idea. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah, and and so what you're going to find now is I've got about four names written down for his partner because <laughs> the, the obvious choice is Rio Ferdinand, but I, you know yeah. I, I ruled ruled him out. Um, yeah. I also I had Tony Gale down, but I kind of ruled him out as well because he wasn't really in his prime uh, when I started watching. Nah. So actually, in the end, I had a really hard choice between two players who played in the same team. Um, I thought Danny Gabadon was was an outstanding player, but he was injured quite a bit with us. He probably only had one good yeah, season. Yeah, yeah. So I've actually gone with Anton Ferdinand um, as as Potsy's partner. I, I just think, again, he he was a very classy player, Ferdinand. He was. And it took a little while to sort of get to the level of ability that, you know, he, he in the end demonstrated. And certainly his first couple of seasons, he was a bit hit and miss. But towards the end of that period just before we got promoted I thought he was a bit of a Rolls-Royce defender in the champ- in the championship as was you know just a cut above and then yeah. when we went up you know particularly in that first season I thought he was outstanding and I always felt it was a bit of a shame really that his career kind of tailed off I mean if you end up playing for Sunderland you've essentially given up playing professional football so you know yeah. it, it it was very disappointing I think on a personal level for him that he ended up where he did because I felt like he actually had a bit more to give than that mm, but mm. i think it, it always seemed to me like maybe some of that off the pitch stuff around the end of the Pardew era you know affected him and so i yeah. don't think he ever quite delivered on his potential but when he was good i thought he was a very good player yeah i mean him and elliot all together as a partnership were really you know great in the championship weren't they and yeah and you know not it was a great defender yeah he scored that goal against fulham weren't it and he was yeah. um he was premier league man of the month like in the first yeah. season um which was and, the and, only go on, go on yeah sorry I, what I was gonna say I mean he played I mean if you think we had Gabidon and we had Collins it was Ferdinand was the guy who played and right. it was the other two one other um who who rotated around him and you know Gabidon played a bit more I think than Collins but you, you know I think Ferdinand was you know he was quick he could play and mm. um probably suffered a bit in comparison to his brother but he was a good player if you assessed him as a as a player on his own yeah totally and i think him and his him and his brother were the first brothers pairing to ever win the premier league play of the month he was telling it was all his stats he was that he's reading off yeah i think there was only something like there had been like 14 player man of the match like months who were defenders or something like that and um it's just crazy at the time but uh yeah no and obviously you know he's part of that 
you know, relatively successful, you know, FA Cup final team yeah. as well. And uh, obviously got promoted with us and he loves the club. Just yeah. still loves the club. And I, and I love players who, who leave and they still love West Ham, you know. and It's quite nice, isn't it? When you it's lovely. That, yeah. It's lovely when you feel, you know, when you hear what they say. And also he spoke about, what well, again, something I didn't realise, I didn't really think about was the pressure on players when it comes to the playoff finals. So obviously I, he was like, because I know, you know, I've I've been, I'll, you know, when I went with my, my brother, I've, you know, people know me since I was 12 and they're still there, the tea ladies. And, and I'm thinking, yeah. shit, if we don't win this game, they're out in their ear. Yeah, and yeah. he's like, I can imagine a lot of people don't give a shit. But, you know, for people like him, it was really refreshing for him to say that. Yeah, and, and obviously quite nice because I, I hear a yeah. lot of fans i don't know you hear a lot of fans say oh we need to go down we need to go down so we can reset it would be the best thing ever and we would come out on all this and i always think to myself well you know but there's a human cost to that which is that as you say yeah. you know, people lose their jobs you know the the, the, the company as is you know suddenly yeah. start you know the profits nosedive by like 80 percent. you know there's like a real cost to that and i and I'm, you know i think it's it's quite nice that you're saying um, that he would be an example of someone who's a bit more human. Oh, it, yeah. yeah, and and he and he and he was really open about the pressures of of having you know his brother is his brother. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. and I I didn't I, and I didn't talk about that because I thought I wasn't going to talk about that. Um, but he brought it up. He was like, yeah, it was yeah. really odd. I struggled. Yeah. I, did, I really struggled. And then and then like I think it was Joe Cole. Like they all started putting their arm around him when he started getting into the you know training sessions at the first team and. Then he felt a little bit like he he wasn't standing on Rio's coattails all the time because that must have been really hard. Yeah, yeah. Same true. position, same position as well, you know. And um, yeah. but anyway, Anton Anton's yeah. in. Anton's in. Um, so I've got. I don't know if you have any restrictions on formation. No, nope. I'm playing. Okay, all right. So I'm playing four two three one. So I've got two holding nice. midfield or two deep in midfield. So the first one is Scott Parker, who um, I know a lot of fans have a bit of a funny relationship with Parker because of it. I think that's primarily because he ended up at Spurs, but I, yeah. you know, if, if we took that position with every single one of our players who left and, and went it, to a, a rival, we don't, we wouldn't like anyone. So yeah, I, yeah, I you know, an outstanding player during his time here. And I think, I think he meets my criteria. Right? I think if you ask Definitely. most non West Ham fans about, you know, who did he play for? I think they'd say, well, I remember him at West Ham. You know, he won mm-hmm. the player of the year in a, t- a team that went down. Um, you know, a, a, a really like a high class player, and probably another one of those examples of a player who was probably a bit more professional than the environment that he ended up playing in. Yeah. Um, but you know, really just liked him as a player and felt I, I, what, what the biggest shame I think of, of his West Ham career was probably Thomas Hitzelsberger getting injured when we signed mm-hmm. him that year that we went down because Hitzelsberger was a really high class player. Um, and he yeah, unfortunately got injured and we got relegated, so we lost him. But having him for a few years alongside Parker would have would have made a big difference. Mm. Um, but just generally, you know, again, another very good player. I agree. And, it, and it, I, I, I'm, I'm very similar to you. It winds me up um, when, when play when, you know, something, something like Parker, you know, in the modern era, you know, he, as you said, how many years, three years in a row, on football writers player of the season the season went down that's never happened and he was he carried west ham for three years on his back he would crawl off that pitch and because he went and played for a club because he didn't want to leave london his dad supported spurs so he wants to go he dad i think his dad had passed yeah yeah it's just I, in 
but then people forget about other things. They forget about, you know, Martin Peters and they forget about Bobby Moore wanting to go to Tottenham. You know, that's, that's all like, well, that's, you know, it's all being yeah. shoved aside, you know. It's, it's, and now that now they all want him to come manage just because he's had a successful time at football. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, exactly. Yeah, you yeah. know, f- football fans are not terribly rational, to be, yeah, honest, yeah. To be honest. So, um, you know, I... You know, I'd like to think that he still retains a fondness for the club, but mm. no, I've no idea. But uh, oh, no. An, an, an excellent player. Yeah, definitely. Right, Parkinson. Who's who else have we got in that so, defensive? Alongside him, I mean, ultimately, you've got Carrick, Frank Lampard. You know, mm. either of those two could have gone in. The best central midfielder I've ever seen play for us is actually Alex Song, but he doesn't meet my criteria either. So I've, I've robbed myself of him. So uh, the other player that I'm going to play alongside him is Manuel Lanzini. Um, who I've always felt is better deeper. Anyway, I know lots of fans probably yeah. think of him as a number 10, but to me, the kind of um, uh, identical Lanzini performance was the Spurs game in the, well, the League Cup, Carabao, mm. whatever it was, when we were 2-0 down at half-time at Wembley. And the second half, Lanzini just came alive and we came back to win it 3-2, which I'm sure most West Ham fans will remember. Um, and just... You know his ability to get on the ball, his ability to do things, his ability to to retain possession in difficult circumstances. It's mm. just a, a, a fantastic player, Lanzini, and it's such a shame that he's got this injury because I'm not completely sure he's he's going to come back from that because mm. it, it looks a bad one. Uh, well, it, it was a bad one, definitely, yeah. uh, but it looks like it's it's you know he's struggling to come back from it, and he obviously just got himself into the Argentina team to play alongside Messi and all the rest of them at the World Cup. So, you know. Again, I think there's sort of an outside validation of how good a player he, he is or was because Argentina were going to give him that role when they've got a million, you know, outstanding central midfielders. But I, I just think um, a brilliant little player. And for me, as much as I, you know, as much as I like Mark Noble and Ian Bishop, you know, Lanzini for me would be the, the player in that position. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think it's just... Yeah, it's, it's a shame. I think obviously he 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 was in his prime. I think when we signed him, and then because of injuries, he'll never be that level again. You know, what I mean, it's, it's a shame because there is a player in there. You know, I remember um, when Mister Mister Pyatt was in the team and, and Lanzini, and I remember one of the video guys they were recording free kicks, and Lanzini was his free kick accuracy was like 30% better than Pyatt's, you know, and it's right. just, yeah, never, yeah. but he never get a chance to kick it because it was always Pyatt's ball. And, yeah. uh, and you could still think there was a player in there and yeah, he's got a lovely apartment though, you know, over the <laughs> um, Canary yes. Wolf. Yeah. You now he's, he's, he's an Instagram, you know, kick ball outside of his dog. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to, I think, mean, you know, I think it's, it's a shame how it's worked, how it's happened, you know, recently. But um, you would think the way the team is set up now, a fit again Lanzini would be brilliant in would that be, three in midfield with Suchek. Would be the best play. signing we could make, you know, would be getting Lanzini back fit again. I mean, if they can do that, you know, if, if that kind of what, what we saw at the end of last season was just a bit of rust and actually mm-hmm. Lanzini can, you know, get back to the level he was at, um, I'd feel a lot more comfortable confident about our chances in the upcoming season Definitely. um so we'll have to see but you uh, to me uh, yeah just a, a great player sure all right lanzini's in who's next so, Jim? so wide right trevor sinclair and um, one of my favorite all-time players and um, pace skill great finisher and um, selfless team player mm-hmm. uh you know played either side played as a wing back um at various times you know 
I, you know, well, I think one of the most gratifying things that I think I've seen as a fan was Sinclair getting into the World Cup squad in 2002. Yes, you know, for a guy who played like eight times for England or something, to to have managed to have got five of them in a World yeah. Cup, you know, culminating in a in a quarter final against Brazil. Um, you know, but that was that was so. And you know, you can't get too invested in footballers, but I kind of felt like almost a personal connection. I wanted him to do well. I really, I really wanted to. I was kind of proud of him in a way that I, I hadn't ever really felt about a West Ham or a player before, or a West Ham player before, because um, I just felt whenever I watched him play for West Ham that he, you know, he was a proper professional and he would. Mm do everything that you wanted or everything yeah. that you thought you would do if you ever got the chance to play for West Ham. So he, he ran as much as he could. He tracked back. He put in the yards. You know, he scored brilliant goals. Um, and I just, you know, I, I, I write a blog called, called The H List and I, I wrote a, a, an article about Trevor Sinclair, um, a kind of retrospective piece about him because he, he was actually one of the players that moved us from being that sort of bottom of the table or bottom yeah. core of the table team kind of at the mid mid to late 90s to being that team that finished fifth in 98 that, that that crazy batshit crazy team that mm. finished uh fifth with a negative goal difference you know yeah. lose six nil away from home beat absolutely everybody at home you know Sinclair was a prime part of that team and um I just uh I always really liked him I think he's probably my you can tell I think he's probably my favorite player in this team yeah. um that I've chosen and and you know, even now, I, I, I kind of th I think back very fondly on, on Trevor Sinclair's West Ham career. Totally, totally same, Jim. I'm, to I'm still a fanboy. Um, and, he, and, and, and he still talks really highly of the club and interacts with people on Twitter and, and stuff like that. And he's just a nice guy. He's, he's a nice guy. And I think clearly enjoyed his time at West Ham. And um, yeah. and it was, you know, an absolute masterstroke by Harry to get him in, you know, and... Uh, you know, for what was it like Breaker and Roland and a couple of million or something like that? Mental, yeah, absolutely fleece them, yeah. And it's yeah. Just, but you know, if you're going to do like the top 10 greatest signings in West Ham's history, you've oh. probably got Devon, Devonshire for five grand, and then you know, Sinclair's got to be in there somewhere, isn't that? Yeah, definitely an, an incredible signing. And as you say, actually, he messaged me on Twitter after I wrote that article about him, and, and you know, like a 12 year old boy, I was just you know, it's true, isn't it? It's not like my wife, <laughs> yeah, so no, it's true. Head. It's not like um, it's weird, like in his modern era, particularly now more than ever, you don't really get autographs and and selfies and things like that it's all about a follow or a retweet or a like so you know it's like you know like uh yeah, trevor i mean you know we'll put trevor on the he'll, he'll always retweet on my when when he appears in them oh, nice. never, okay. he hasn't bloody, he hasn't bloody been on them yet i keep he keeps he, then, then he likes my tweets when i say when you're coming on you know it's like i yeah. just do you have a bot is this a bot here and it says trevor sinclair he automatically likes but um yeah it's the same <laughs> as ian bishop Bish will retweet anything you say. Anything that's yeah. good about him, he'll retweet it. And I love it. And Macca and all that. Lot. He sent me a couple of messages as well. Because I, I wrote three of those articles. There was one about yeah. Sinclair, one about Bishop, and one about Jack Collison. And they all they all messaged yeah, me. Like, yeah, you know, all good boys. Like a 12-year-old, you know. The 12-year-old in me again was just like, yeah. you know, ringing up my dad, telling him, you know, I've just, Ian Bishop just wrote me a message, you know. And, and we, were, we were both thrilled because he was my dad's favourite player. So, oh, yeah, yeah, Sinclair... Sinclair uh, I probably, even though I don't think he was ever captain for West Ham, I probably met him captain in this team. Just yeah, sounds good. <laughs> All right, he's on the wide right. Who's next then, Jim? Uh, so wide left, I've gone with Dimitri Payet. Yeah, I, no, again, I know a, a lot of fans probably, 
I think actually a lot of fans probably are past their feelings about Payet now. Yeah. I think and just look back on it with a sense of um, wonder, really, that we had a player this good um, in, in our club. Um, oh, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and it was only sort of fifty games or sixty games or whatever it was. But but what a, what a fifty games you know yeah. he had and. Um, you know, I remember um, I took my daughters actually to an away game at Blackburn in the Cup. We won five. Oh, that game! Wow. Um, I took them up there. We had West Ham had like seven thousand fans there. They were, they were quite young. In retrospect, probably too young to go, but nonetheless. Uh, and they were kind of stood, standing on the seats next to me, and the crowd were going bonkers. And Payet scored two brilliant goals. One was a free kick, and one was a, a dribble. Awesome. And you know, I just kind of remember um, sort of they were they were too young really, but I kind of walked away from the ground thinking. Oh my God, I can't believe I was able to take my kids to watch See a player that kind of virtuoso um, playing for us. And um, uh, Gio mentioned this on, on his one as well. There was a game where we drew two all with Manchester City in, in that final season at the Bowling, which is the, the same yeah. season. And Payet was just comfortably the best player on the pitch, you know, in, in a game that featured Aguero, Silva, Prime, Yaya Torre, you know, yeah. just... Like unbelievable players everywhere you looked, and Payet was a head and shoulders above all of them. He was, he was, he was a brilliant player and, and brilliant for us. And yeah. irrespective of the kind of um, the circumstances around his departure, I think I'll always be grateful that we had that certainly that last season at the Bolin, we yeah. just we had a player that good turning out for us. It's, yeah. even now it kind of blows my mind. I mean, yeah, we, we wouldn't have had that season, would we? Wouldn't, that season wouldn't have been as great no. as it was without him. And, you know, I've mentioned it before when Pyatt's come up, it's the first. it was the first time I can ever remember, and even still now, um, that all my non-West Ham mates wanted one of my players in their team. You know, they, yeah. he, he was the man, you know, he was, you know, he was like the guy in the Premier League that everyone wanted. And, um, you know, Tottenham fans or Arsenal fans, all the players they've had, and they wanted, they were like pissed and shitting themselves when we played them because of Dimitri Payet. And I don't ever remember that happening. Yeah, you might have it occasionally, you know, and Tony's in a bit of form at the moment. So, yeah, but it was every game and he just did it from day one. You yeah. know, I remember that shit at um, South, End, South End uh, friendly and he was just awesome. And then, he, you know, when we played Arsenal, you know, a lot, of, a lot of particularly foreign players need a couple of games to get into the swing of. Yeah. No, the bonus, the little 360s he did. And um, yeah, he was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant player. No, I yeah. loved him. The the technically the best player I've ever seen at West Ham. I think that's fair. I mean, we haven't had a Ballon d'Or nominee since, you know, or before. So or yeah. before, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Agree, well, agree. I, I think uh, I think Jonathan Spector got close one year, if I remember. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, quite probably. Good old Johnny. Yeah. Um, right, Payet's in. Who's next? Who's next? So my number ten is this one's borderline as to whether or not you'll accept it under the under my ridiculous uh, terms. But I've gone with Joe Cole. <laughs> Um, yeah. Because I feel like people associate Joe Cole with West Ham. Um, I agree. Possibly because he was a good player for Chelsea, but not, but probably not a great player in the way that, say, Lampard was. Yeah. And then he went on to Liverpool, and then he sort of, you know, he ended up with a quite um, sort of nomadic career, really. But he had two two periods at West Ham, yeah. and um, the, the year that we went down, Joe Cole won Hammer of the Year and actually played central midfield all season long, and I thought was like outstandingly good mm. in that role um, as a kind of 
um, box the box midfielder and Mourinho got hold of him and turned him into something else. But yeah. um, you know, really, whether he's a number ten, I'm not really sure. But I, you know, I I considered him. The, the guy who possibly could also be in this role is Berkovic, who Isle Berkovic, who I yeah, also sure. strongly he's on my subs bench if you allow me one. But <laughs> uh, but but Cole Cole, I think just again seemed to genuinely care, seemed to really value being a, a West Ham player and value. Mm. Um, it kind of is association with the club and um, you know I'm kind of looking at my team and thinking this team would let so many goals in but you know going forward you would you would pay your season ticket money to come yeah, and watch these definitely. guys and so um, uh, yeah I put him in there yeah I totally agree and, and yeah I mean he's you know his family is still West Ham massive West Ham fans he's, you know, he still speaks very highly of the club every time he's on commentary or analysis work um and he came back you know and 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 i think he had unfinished business at west ham and you're right he went to chelsea and they sort of ruined this beautiful football player who if he was given a free role when well, the free role sort of disappeared in that sort of era um he would have been one of the greats i really think so i really think he had all the bits but unfortunately he was put into a box which didn't fit him you know it was if he was like if he was like in around sort of you know everyone talks about him yeah in gaza's era but if he was around sort of you know that era where he could where gaza was allowed to just go and play you know at tottenham he could just it wasn't a position it was it was the proverbial free role that's how i saw joe cole i just think yeah. Well, he's an interesting player because um, there's also, if you look now, there's a lot of kids coming through English academies and through the English system who are highly technical players who are incredibly skillful dribblers. And someone like Jaden Sancho would be um, a good example of that. Foden, another one. Um, And a lot of that actually is that there's been a change to the way that the FA have coached in the last few years. And I kind of know this just because I've gone through a couple of the courses and stuff. But there's tons of stuff about, you know, you stay on the ball, you stay on the ball, you you learn to to retain possession in difficult positions and you play out from there. And actually, Joe Cole was slightly ahead of his time. Mm. And I think if Cole came through now, I don't think he'd be viewed with the suspicion that he was at the time. And he, he sort of, he arrived to Redknapp, who was, of course, a, a, a very offensive attacking coach mm. who paid very minimal attention to defensive work. So, of course, Cole actually probably, he was a great coach for for, yeah. for, um, for Joe Cole, but then ended up with Mourinho, who, who would, you know, Mourinho would take Messi and have him track back, you know, I mean, like, yeah, he, would, he would have defensive responsibility. So, <laughs> you know, Mourinho is, you could argue, was a great coach for Cole. I don't really know because he gave him structure and he gave him discipline that he didn't have Maybe. before. But I feel like if Cole kind of emerged into this era now, and in particularly this sort of international era where you have an England team that's full of young technical players, mm. um, you know, like I said, Sancho, Hudson, and Doyle, all these various players around um, who are really skillful and, and kind of quite progressive. I feel like Cole now would be would be sort of held up on a pedestal in a way he wasn't when he arrived because I think yeah. people viewed him a bit with suspicion, like. Oh, he's going to be great, but he's going to try one too many lollipops, and he'll give the ball yeah. away, and then we'll, and then we'll, you know, we'll lose. Um, so it's possibly a man out of his time. I don't know, but but from my perspective, maybe it's a romantic pick. But I always, um, I always sort of had a soft spot for Joe. Yeah, no, I think everyone has a soft spot for Joe, don't they? So we'll put Joe in, and then who's the last piece of this puzzle? So my striker, who's going to bring all of this together, is the most complete striker that I think West Ham have had in thirty years, which is Dean Ashton. Yeah. Um, 
just uh, it's such a shame that he got injured um and in, in such a ludicrously west ham way where he, he gets called up for england gets gets his ankle broken by the smallest man in the western <laughs> world playing professional <laughs> football in sean wright phillips and never recovers from it you know just yeah. just such a shame um because he i thought ashton had everything i thought he could i agree play in any way really and hold the ball up he could attack he could finish uh, you know he could attack in multiple ways and um, both feet strong in the air just just an outstanding player mm-hmm. um and yeah possibly it says a bit melodramatic but he might be like one of the biggest regrets of you know the west ham sort of my no, era I, of sporting west ham no, is, is the demise of dean ashton no, definitely. He he was the complete striker, wasn't he? Really. It, I mean, I don't, I've never seen anyone since, obviously. But you know, he, he was, you know, tall enough to compete in the air. He was big enough to hold it up. He had a turn of pace. wasn't rapid, but he had a turn of pace to beat a defender. Skillful. Um, you know, some of his goals were, were fantastic, and some of the way. Obviously, I remember obviously the bicycle kick, and obviously when he turned at the uh, Middlesbrough in you know, the semi-final and he yeah, turned yeah. those, you know, he was a brilliant player and, you know, he would have been, well, he, well, he may have been West Ham, the West Ham team for many years. He may have buggered off to Man United to partner Rooney, but he would have done that for England. And yeah. Yeah. And I, I think he was, yeah, there's that old phrase about being a, a, a great goal scorer and a scorer of great goals. And I think yeah. Ashton fits that description. He's a, uh, if you ever see any of Rob Banks's sort of clips that he posts up, or, yeah. or Vinnie Ryan, who posts a lot of stuff on Twitter, you know, you sort of watch some of Ashton's goals. And of course, you know, through the mists of time, as we'll get a bit older, you forget some of them. And you just kind of watch the the, the skillfulness of his finishing, mm. but also the variety of his finishes as well. Yeah. You know, he could score from a lot of different places on the pitch. And I think it, it's a real shame because they bought Craig Bellamy, um, who is yeah. another player I, I rated very highly. And I think they only played together in one game, which was that yeah. game we won at Reading 3-0 and then Ashton got injured. And, and you know, I think those two together as a partnership, um, albeit I've, I've got him up front on his own, but that's fine. I've got I've got attacking players to help him. Uh, you know, it, it, that, that partnership could have been really strong yeah. because at the time, Kirby was building quite a strong um foundation behind him so yeah a, a, a great shame about what happened to ashton but yeah um you know still still a, a, a very very good player when he was here yeah he was and who's on your bench i know you mentioned it we don't usually do the subs but you can rattle through the subs. all right i'll quickly rattle through. So i've got i've got i've got fabianski but he contravenes my ranks so i'm going to go rob green yeah uh, Cresswell, declan rice ian bishop Kyle berkovich craig bellamy who also contravenes my rules really and then arnautovic who i sort of have a even though it was a bit bonkers, I quite I quite liked that out of it. I thought he was really yeah. a pretty good player. He was a good player. Um Jim man, that's been it's been great. It's been fun. Uh, the time is an hour and ten minutes almost. Fucking hell. Jesus, <laughs> when people start talking at West Ham, they they just like it goes from <laughs> fucking, isn't it? I love it. I love it, man. Thank you so well, much thank, for your time. Not at all. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute, absolute. pleasure. That's been lovely, thank you. And obviously thanks everyone for watching. Um or listening, because we're on Spotify and Apple Watch podcast and things like that wherever you're on whatever 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 platform make sure you subscribe so you don't miss anything else and hit any notifications and to make sure you're made aware of any time we put new content on um and obviously for those of you you know around uh thursday night make sure you're tuned into the live stream be good fun um and from me and jim take care everyone stay safe come on your wines and we'll see you again very very soon take care everyone see you soon bye 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 
Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.